Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Yingjia Huang, who serves as the Assistant Deputy Director for Healthcare Benefits and Eligibility with California's Department of Healthcare Services. In today's episode, we learn a little bit about how the public health emergency in California actually helped Medi-Cal beneficiaries when it came to eligibility and ensuring that they weren't disenrolled during a time where they might need benefits the most. Yingja also shares a little bit about the upcoming unwinding of the public health emergency and how that will affect Medi-Cal member eligibility. If you serve Medi-Cal members or work with Medi-Cal members, today's episode should be a wealth of information. We hope you enjoy the episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us at pophealthpodcast.com or checking out our YouTube channel, finding us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, Yingja. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so we like to get to know our guests a little bit uh, with each episode. So can you give us a little background about yourself? Uh, for example, like where you grew up and um, a little bit about your childhood prior to joining the workplace. Sure. Thank you. Um, so I was actually born in the Pearl River Delta down in southern China, immigrated to the United States in the 90s um, and grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, grew up speaking Cantonese, Chinese as my native tongue, um, picked up on Mandarin Chinese um, as, you know, uh, the days went by in my childhood. Um, and so lots of different cultural and linguistic influences um, throughout my life. Um, I speak a bit of uh, Korean as well as Japanese growing up and having studied abroad in multiple places, um, at one point wanting to become a foreign service officer overseas, um, but took a dab in health policy, and here I am at the Department of Healthcare Services. Wow. So if someone asks you, how many languages do you speak, how do you respond to that? Um, I would say um, uh, as fluent as possible, only two, Chinese um, with a multiple subdialects and English, but I can do conversational in Japanese. Korean. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. As I mentioned uh, off the air, my wife uh, speaks the Toisan dialect, which you nodded and were familiar yes. with, and not a lot of people uh, are familiar with it. And uh, as you also alluded to, it is a kind of underneath the Cantonese umbrella, yep. if you will. Yep. So yep. awesome. Awesome. So if you mind me asking, what was the inspiration for your family to head out to Hawaii? Yeah, so um, it was, um, we had, uh, it was more of like a, the chain migration, immigration effect, I think, um, in um, the late 80s, many of the southern Chinese folks have immigrated to certain places, one being San Francisco, and the other being in Honolulu, and um, Honolulu actually has um, quite a few of individuals from the same village or town, as you will, um, that speak the same dialect, and that just naturally, organically became the place where they landed. Okay, awesome, awesome. So that was great with about your background. Now tell us how you eventually fell into the healthcare world. Yeah, so um, I was in public policy graduate school at the University of Southern California. And that time I was trying to find a thesis topic for my master's thesis. Um, 
And one day I opened the front page of the New York Times, and it was right around the time that at that time, President Obama was uh, signing um, that time the Affordable Care Act. Um, and that was definitely a moment um, where it made its way in big, bold letterhead on the NY Times. And I'm like, that's yeah. a topic I want to write about. And that just started my interest in kind of the world. Um, once I graduated, landed in a very good position here at the state doing the same type of work at the state level. Okay, awesome. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you come on the show was to talk about this public health unwinding and the public health emergency. Mm -hmm. I think for folks who are, you know, in the policy world, it's they're very familiar with it, or if they're in the Medi-Cal world, they're very familiar with it. Many of our audience members work with Medi-Cal patients and serve Medi-Cal patients, but they're not necessarily involved in, in the policymaking and things like that. So could you give maybe in layman's terms, what this or maybe remind our audience what the public health emergency is. And then what is the unwinding all about? Yeah, so um, the public health emergency, definitely a term of art, was a product um, of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic invoked when um, in January of 2020, when at that time President Trump declared a national emergency as a result of the pandemic. Um, and that triggered what we call a public health emergency. So um, officially, both at the federal and the state levels, um, the public health emergency period commenced. Um, so um, in March of uh, 2020, in the state of California, the PHE was obviously in place. Um, and then during that kind of period of time, there's a lot of broad uh, national and state policy flexibilities um, that were invoked and triggered as part of this. And now that we are about two years um, into the public health emergency, um, there will be a time when it ends. And then at the time when it ends, it begins a period, what we call in as the public health emergency unwinding. Got it. And are you able to share any specifics on that timeline? Yeah, so um, the PHE is always uh, renewed um, every 90 days by the federal government who has the authority to do so. Um, it doesn't have to be the full 90 day period. It could be truncated, but it's determined at the federal level. Currently, um, the public health emergency is to end in mid-July. However, um, because the federal government has committed to a 60-day advance notice uh, to um, all states across the nation when they're going to end it, we have not received a 60-day notice prior to mid-July. Um, by that, it means it most likely will be extended another uh, 90 days. So to probably around mid-October is what we're anticipating um, the next extension to be. Really good info. I had no idea on all of that. So thank you very much. I'm sure our audience didn't as well. So as I mentioned, Yingja, our audience members are frequently providers or work closely with providers, maybe as administrators here mm -hmm. in California and elsewhere across the United States, but a lot in California. Um, the public health emergency, how did that impact Medi-Cal beneficiaries and how is the unwinding going to potentially change who those folks are or what services they get? Yeah. So where uh, the PHG really culminated into um, a really big um, impact at all fronts for providers specifically, it's really for them a new way of doing business through like telehealth modalities, which we had in California. But the PHG really pushed um, us to broaden a lot of those modalities in terms of accessing care and providing a rendering the care for providers. 
Um, on the beneficiaries, likewise, it's a new way of accessing it and getting in touch with um, their doctors. But where it zooms in a little bit as it relates to the Medi-Cal program in general is many of them are used to what we call like a redetermination or re-verification of their eligibility um, process on an annual basis. And as a result of the PHE, that has been paused. Um, so there were no adverse actions where people were disenrolled in the program. So many of them actually have not been in touch with their county social services agencies, which is usually um, the folks that will get in touch with them to do their annual verification. Um, so not only is there a new way of kind of accessing their care, but also from a process front, it is something that is different. Um, and once the unwinding begins, um, what's going to happen is we're keeping many of, like, say, the telehealth modalities. Um, however, the redeterminations component of their cases um, will be resumed with what we call um, resuming normal operations. So that is the piece um, that the department is really preparing for and anticipating for and helping. Folks. Got it. So when you say they uh, reassess or redetermine eligibility on an annual basis, is there like a an, like an open enrollment or a redetermination period that typically happens annually? Yeah. So for um, Medi-Cal, because we're open for business 365 days of the year, yeah. um, there's no open enrollment. Um, okay. What is going to happen is, is usually the month, we call it the renewal month, where they the applicant um, came in and applied for Medi-Cal. So say if you come in in July, most likely your renewal month will be in July of next year. And that's usually how um, the cadence or how the schedule of your redeterminations are developed. Okay, got it. So one thing I've heard about over the last year or so is outside of the PHE, outside of COVID, is the change um, in which uh, folks who may not have a legal status in mm -hmm. California, um, mm -hmm. how they're eligible for Medi-Cal, their different age ranges that people would be eligible or not. Could you briefly touch on that as well? Yeah, so um, California has been very expansive in our policies and when it comes to coverage. So in 2016, we have expanded full scope with Medi-Cal, which is the full breadth of services covered in our program in 2016 to children under the age of 19, regardless of your immigration status. So you come in, you meet the income requirements, we will not um, basically verify um, your immigration status and you will be conferred full scope. In 2020, we took that one step further um, and now it is any individual under the age of 26 years old um, and also this year, very proudly to share that as of May 1st um, of 22, we have expanded this full scope coverage to individuals 50 years of age and older. And this is all regardless of your immigration status. Um, and in the budget investment this year, we are looking at expanding that broadly to 26 through 49. And if that does get approved by the legislature, um, we will be ha having a full scope Medi-Cal for individuals, regardless of your immigration status, um, full, full age range. Wow, that's uh, that is that is huge. So, I mean, all ages pretty much right there. So can you tell us uh, maybe a success story? I know you mentioned like telehealth became mm -hmm. more common and there's maybe easier access because mm -hmm. of telehealth in some cases. But have you heard any stories of like, wow, this was amazing, like over the last mm -hmm. couple of years, why, why a change helped somebody? 
Yeah. So during the COVID-19, uh, one of the temporary flexibilities, we actually expanded. So there's two things. One, we expanded our existing hospital presumptive eligibility program, which is really an entry path for folks um, requiring immediate care. And it's temporary in nature, full scope at the hospitals. We actually expanded it to an additional age group, the aged, blind, and disabled group. And that was um, a result of a temporary flexibility that we were allowed to elect as the that was implemented in March of 2020. And because of the great things we have heard, given that COVID-19 focuses on a wide variety of age ranges, not specifically, but each hospital PE at that time was for individuals up through the age of 60. Um, with COVID, that was the policy window, and there was that need for us to look a little bit deeper, and we expanded it to an additional age. We are looking to make that flexibility permanent in the program. Additionally, um, we have elected um, in March of 2020 to build um, a COVID-19 uninsured group. Um, at that time, it's for folks who have um, are uninsured and require some type of testing, testing related or treatment services. Um, and currently, our uh, numbers stand about about almost three hundred thousand individuals um, who are currently enrolled in the program, requiring those services who may not have insurance. But we have provided them entryways um, to get this kind of care and also uh, make sure that they're covered um, until such time the public health emergency ends. Wow. That's pretty cool. So, I mean, you're, you're a wealth of information and you're answering these very uh, clearly in, in layman's terms, which I very much appreciate. So, as I mentioned, a lot of the providers serve the Medi-Cal beneficiaries, but they, it's hard for them to stay up to speed on everything. I recently began focus on Medi-Cal over the last six months or so, and I realized there's all these like CalAIM advisory groups, which mm -hmm. is an, a big new initiative here in California that most of our audience knows about at this point. If folks want to stay up to speed on, on eligibility and all the policies and procedures of, of being a Medi-Cal provider, what are some good ways they can do that? Yeah, so there are multiple subscription services. So obviously, subscribing to the DHCS stakeholder mailing list, you will get the weekly wealth of information in terms of um, what are the big initiatives, um, CalAIM being one of the most premier uh, initiatives in the department. As it relates to more of the COVID-19 public health emergency unwinding for our providers, definitely signing up to be our DHCS coverage ambassadors, uh, which is a communications campaign and initiative that we have rolled out and requesting our uh, CBOs, um, our providers, our health plans to really help push the message out to our beneficiaries help them continue their coverage once the PAG does end, because we have we know that many of them have moved across the state um, during the course of the pandemic. Um, we are anticipating about two to three million of our Medi-Cal enrollees being dropped on coverage. And obviously our providers are very concerned about that. Yeah. Um, that is a patient that may potentially go uninsured. Um, so because they have access to our beneficiaries more so than we do at the State Department or even at the counties. Um, that access point is so important um, and we have created customized toolkits, flyers for our providers to kind of help us in terms of making sure that our beneficiaries understand they need to go and update their contact information with the counties because once the public health emergency does end, um, the counties will be sending renewal packets in the mail. So if they do yeah. not 
get the right address, they will be at a risk of being uh, disenrolled for loss of contact. Um, so we do have multiple mailing lists on that front um, in terms of whether it be DHCS um, department-wide initiatives or just for the PHE unwinding specific, which is our ambassadors initiatives that we are pushing up. Okay, awesome. So one thing you mentioned a moment ago was CBOs, uh, community-based organizations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, for the audience members, they may not be familiar with that term. I'll, I'll try to explain it and feel free to jump in, Yingja, if uh, I get it wrong. But uh, folks, uh, when Yingja mentioned CBOs, these are boots on the ground organizations throughout the communities uh, in California, which often serve Medi-Cal beneficiaries. So they're often at the front line and can access these members um, at a time where maybe DHCS or the county organizations cannot. Um, there's much more that they do, but Yingja, anything else you want to add about CBOs? Oh, you described it very well. Um, they are our trusted messengers on the ground um, to help us push this message. And one thing I would want to mention about the health navigators is the DHCS is funding um, a current investment and looking to propose an extension of about $60 million for our health enrollment navigators serve as our PhD unwinding um, kind of uh, uh, folks that are trusted messengers on the ground to help us push and help people uh, with this kind of very complicated process to verify your eligibility. Um, but they are one of the most important entities um, that are helping us spread the word. Yeah, good point. And folks, uh, if you happen to know or work with a CBO or community-based organization, um, I'm from Southern California. So some of the ones that I might be familiar with uh, that are throughout California would be places like that might have like a Meals on Wheels title or affiliation, maybe like a Jewish family and children's services, which serves uh, folks not just of the Jewish faith, but the whole community at times. Uh, so those are some examples of CBOs. Uh, area agencies on aging would be familiar with a lot of the CBOs uh, as well. Um, so they're like Yingjo said, there's actually funding to create new positions, to help enroll folks into Medi-Cal and to case manage as well. So um, if you guys know of anybody here in California that is a case manager or that's a CBO and they're looking to expand, um, please check out DHCS um, and see how they can help with the CalAIM initiative. There's a phrase called enhanced care management. And I know um, folks, uh, the DHCS can use additional support in that area as well. So sorry, Yingja, for the quick tangent, but Ooh. I do. Yeah, I do think it's important that our audience is familiar with CBOs and plugged in because uh, mm -hmm. it can definitely help the Medi-Cal beneficiaries. So Yingja, like I said, you are a wealth of information. Um, mm -hmm. I know you have a tight schedule and you were able to fit in today, so I really appreciate it. Um, are you, I know DHCS, um, you know, subscriptions and things like that is a great way to stay mm -hmm. up to speed, but do you, uh, are you active at all on social media or LinkedIn or would those subscriptions be the best bet? Um, those subscriptions or our DHCS um, uh, actual feeds, um, our uh, social media handles, um, I think um, our Office of Communications are really active um, in that area. So that's a great way to stay up to speed. All right. Awesome. And I get a lot of those emails and a lot of those emails. <laughs> And it is extremely uh, helpful. And also just kudos uh, to you uh, for, for hopping on the show again and for Anthony, your colleague, for setting this up. One thing, folks, um, I've had the privilege of uh, interviewing uh, just a couple folks like Yingja from DHCS. And you guys have been super responsive, whether you can do the show or not in certain times. Um, I just want to say thank you to DHCS for accommodating our audience and for you as well, Yingja, for being on today's show. Thanks so much. Thank you for the invitation. 
Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.